Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. We are back. I am Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and noticeably absent tonight uh, is uh, our co-host from uh, Canton, Ohio, Eric. Eric, if anybody watched the last episode, um, I love the guy to death, but he looked like shit. And uh, he hadn't shaved in three days, which is super unlike him because he can't grow a beard. So in hindsight, the next morning, we found out that Eric got the Rona. Uh, so he's doing fine. By the time this airs, I'm sure he will be back yelling at people and being angry at whoever and me or whoever. So uh, he's going to be fine. But uh, yeah, that was what was going on. And uh, we decided to do this episode uh, since we have two guests, um, I'm going to do it by myself. Um, and it was one of those episodes that Eric and I and uh, the rest of us here have, have really kind of like focused on in terms of um, kind of broadening what uh, WDR is bringing. So we've done some of these episodes. We did an episode um, with one of the, the conservation dogs from Africa, which focused on on more of the poaching aspect. And those were the tracking dogs. Um, tonight, we have guests from Hawaii. Uh, we have Kyoko and Michelle, who are part of the Conservation Dogs of Hawaii, which are focused on um, the conservation component and the research and ecological detection dogs in the Hawaii state, in the state of Hawaii. Um, for our listeners, not in the United States, Hawaii is part of the United States, but it's on an island like way, way off the California coast by itself. It's its own ecosystem. It does its own thing. So they have a very lot, they have a lot of unique um ecological and um, environmental problems that are not prevalent on the mainland here in the united states so with that uh, i'm going to introduce our two guests uh first of all we have kyoko hi how are you hi good, good to meet you good so you are the trainer with the um with cdh with uh, conservation dogs of hawaii correct Yes, I'm the trainer and the main instructor, and I founded the organization a couple of years ago. Um, I also run my own uh, private business, Country Canine, which does uh, nose work for pet dogs and ecological detection dog services. So give us a little back, a bit of background on you first, um, and then um, we'll go to Michelle, and then we'll kind of do the background on, the, um, on CDH. Sure. So um, in 2008, I started out as a pet dog trainer, you know, doing obedience and teaching manners, behavior modification and that type of thing. And um, I enjoyed it, but I found that most of it was really about coaching people, not necessarily training dogs. So um, I went to the APDT conference, a pet dog trainer conference one year and saw a seminar that the um, NACSW founders um, were teaching on nose work. And, you know, I'd never heard of that. I was amazed. I loved it. I said, this is what I'm going to do. So I came home, started doing it with my pet dog, and then eventually started teaching classes to, um, you know, the pet dog people on Oahu. Um, so that kind of became my main focus over just regular training. And around the same time, I also was hired by a local wind farm to train some of their dogs to do um, endangered bird and bat fatality detection. So I kind of um, got into the whole ecological side at the same time as the pet dog work. That's super 
Interesting. So those acronyms you threw out, like I'm super familiar with the law enforcement stuff. So what, like, what conference did you go to? Oh, I'm sorry. APDT yeah. is the um, Association of Pet Dog Trainers, I think. Okay. Um, and then NACSW is the National Association of Canine Scent Work. Um, okay. Let's see, what other acronyms did I use? <laughs> right. Well. Well, and some of this stuff will be kind of in the show notes and because I I can tell you right now, like we will get questions, like we'll get emails or Instagram things or whatever else. So um, you guys, like you started doing like the bat and the bird stuff for the wind farm there locally in Hawaii. Yes. Okay. So at when did um, you kind of decide that like, oh, there's a, there's an actual need here for this thing. Well, for me, I came from a dog training background, so I had no idea. Even while I was working at the wind farm, you know, I kind of was doing it more just because it was fun to do this with the dogs and not really thinking about the ecology and biology. Um, But towards maybe like the end of my employment there, a few years, you know, I started to think, um, you know, I think it might be more fun to explore new other applications because, Dogs are so good at it. So um, I guess it was after a few years of working at the wind farm that I started, you know, doing a little bit more research, reaching out to other people, biologists. And I think that's around when I met Michelle as well. Right. So speaking of which, our second guest is Michelle Reynolds. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We are doing well. So you are the science advisor for CDH. That's right. I'm a, I'm also an ecologist, and I've spent most of my career um, in the Hawaiian Islands, and I've been involved with endangered species research, um, biosecurity, and uh, studying disease pathogens of, of our unique island ecosystems. So, and that's kind of where, like I instead of talked about at the beginning, like for those listening, I mean, the United States people know, but a lot of the people who don't know that like Hawaii is its own like thing. Like it's its own place. It's its own, it has its own ecology. It's its own ecosystem. It has its own weather. It has its own everything separate from the rest of the that's country. That's right. Um, it's uh, so actually the most isolated archipelago in the world. It's farther away okay. from any other island. Um, from a, from a continental landmass. So it is really out there. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know it's a long flight from San, from San Francisco. So <laughs> um, kind of discuss your role a little bit for um, how you and Kyoko met and the role that you play for uh, CDH. So the um, role as science advisor is is pretty new. It's an exciting opportunity to um, to try to help the organization um, with um, matching the need in ecology uh, with the dog's special ability. So um, I can um, help with topics like um, training aids, like helping to identify different life stages that might be hard to detect for biologists, but could be easier to to detect for canines. Um, And also just having to end with the ecological community when someone complains that they can't find something, um, I can suggest an alternative method. And that method is is, um, 
canine detection works for all kinds of applications that might be too hard to do another way. Okay, so before we kind of talk about how the dogs are used, this seems to be like the pattern for any time we use dogs. There's a problem that we identify, and then there's, like you said, there's like the dog superior ability to smell stuff. Like that's their thing, right? Like, you know, in any industry, whether it's law enforcement or what we're talking about here or in the military, it is routinely that the dog's nose is the way to the answer of whatever question we've got going on. So what specific problem was Hawaii dealing with that was like, you know what, we have got to find a way to detect or do with this. Like, you know, in law enforcement, it's easy. We find drugs and bombs in military. Same thing. They find drugs and bombs. If we find people, like it's pretty straightforward. I assume that with this, we're also finding something. You're not biting people. So (laughs) what are you guys, what are you guys looking for? Like, what was the problem that you guys needed the dogs for that you couldn't address any other way? I'll tell you about the first problem and and how I met Kyoko and uh, how I um, uh, came to using canines and trying to learn more about them was uh, a, um, a disease that kills endangered ducks. So these ducks um, will keel over really quickly. Um, and in order to stop the mass die-off of the endangered ducks, you have to find the carcasses. And so one carcass could cause the carcasses of a hundred other ducks. And so it spreads um, through the food web. So when one duck dies, the flies and invertebrates start to break down that carcass and um, if the duck has ingested a spore from a bacteria that can occur in these wetlands, um, they essentially get food poisoning. And so all the ducks get food poisoning and you have to find all the carcasses to stop the outbreak. And a lot of times these wetlands have dense vegetation. Um, the one where I was working also had um, agricultural leases where taro, which is a um, really important cultural and food crop in Hawaii. So um, the humans were trying to collect these carcasses and not doing a very good job um, because it was a lot of area to cover. The, um, the ducks would die, you know, kind of tucked away under the vegetation. And I started, you know, thinking more about detection dogs and was able to get a grant for um, an efficacy test, so an actual experiment. And of course, I had not worked with detector dogs. So um, my employer sent me to um, Tar Heel Canine uh, School for dog trainers to learn a little bit more about how canine detection works. Yeah, go see Bradshaw. Yeah, and Jerry, actually. (laughs) He's been on the podcast several times. He connected me with other people that have used canines for avian botulism and um, with another handler. And then um, we were able to bring Kyoko on as the the main trainer and handler. And um, she had um, two really super detection dogs and a lot of uh, creativity and innovation to make this project happen. So yeah, and then uh, Kyoko, so you get approached and they're like, hey, 
you want to go find bird botulism? And you're like, what was the reaction? Because I know what mine would be. Mine would be like, what? Because I've been, I've been, we've been asked. We we have another project that we're working on now that um, is we're going to use dogs to find a um, another like kind of bio thing and this kind of a side project but when it first propped up i was like do you what now i don't even know what this is like what do you want me to find like where is this what is it like had you heard of this like was this new to you or how did how was this how did this conversation happen yeah it's been a while so i don't remember the details but um i hadn't heard of avian botulism i just knew that they were hiring for you know a conservation related position. And I said, heck yeah, because um, at the time I was kind of ready to move on from my wind farm job. And so I bid on the project and luckily I got it. And um, I had no idea that <laughs> there would be so many challenges in this survey environment. Of course, it's a wildlife refuge. There's tons of, you know, endangered birds like flying around, running around. And, you know, even for a dog that um, is not interested in birds at all it's still just a lot of um you know stuff going on so um it was definitely challenging and like michelle was saying there was um there's taro farms all over the the place they're um growing in water and you can't let the dogs you know just run around wild and potentially damage the crops so we had to come up with you know ways to kind of um circumnavigate the taro fields and you know, have the dogs distance alert and things like that. So um, it was a lot of fun. I think I like the creative aspect of conservation dog work because not every job is the same. You know, the targets are different. The environments are different. The challenges are different. And, um, you know, I'm not the type of person to do full-time jobs because I get bored. So for me, yeah. you know, it's kind of fun to take on something new and interesting. So when they approached you, um, or well, I guess when you won the bid and you were like, yeah, I can do this. And you're like, what is this? So, um, the problem, so, I mean, from what I can tell, are they finding that you're finding dead ducks? Yes. Right. Okay. So <laughs> like, what are they finding? Is it like a duck odor? Cause they're not, so they're live or, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm sort of like at a loss, like, cause when some of the projects that we've worked on before, like they'll ask me to find something, I'm like, ah, I mean, sure. And you know, then there's all these, like you said, there's all these other questions that come up. Like, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And all of a sudden you kind of spin down 400 rabbit holes of all these other problems. So when you initially were approached with finding this, like what problems initially were, um, what problems initially popped up? Uh, well, to answer your first question, um, yes, we were finding duck carcasses. And for the purpose of this project, it's um, it's not really feasible to separate the scent or the odor of um, avian botulism. Michelle um, can correct me if I'm saying anything wrong. Um, so we were just training the dogs to find the Hawaiian duck carcasses, um, whether they had botulism well, or our, not. Actually, um, our training aids were all ducks that had avian botulism. So, uh, so you couldn't separate them, right? So they're finding, they're finding the, the dead ducks, which like kind of like go off into the pasture. Not pasture right. So, is, so yeah. yeah, we trained with the um, ducks that had avian botulism, but um, the dogs would also find 
um, the carcasses that didn't necessarily die of botulism. And that was also a good thing because you know, any type of protein source could contribute to the spread of the disease as well. Right. So um, the ducks were endangered. They're dying from this weird or from this basically like a botulism thing um, or from botulism toxin. Uh, so what impact initially did the dogs have for like kind of the control of this thing because it's in a look it's it's an isolated area obviously in hawaii but it's even further um isolated so what impact initially did they have um i'm not sure if i understand the question so you're saying how did the dogs help with the effort or yeah like i assume initially you guys were just kind of out there in waiters looking for dead ducks and how did it speed up the process? I mean, that's an oversimplification, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you're out there in waiters looking for dead ducks and hoping. <laughs> so how fast, uh, you know, I mean, initially, like we're starting to use dogs to speed this process up. Um, so what was the benefit of using the dogs over just, I guess, <laughs> like trying to find dead ones laying out? Like, out Michelle, do you want to take that? Michelle, do oh, you want to answer Sure, that? yeah. Um... So the traditional approach to searching for the ducks, um, they had two ways of, of looking for dead ducks. And I spent hours and hours and hours um, prior to this project on foot. So we did pedestrian searches with binoculars and you would you know, walk around all these taro fields and all these um, more uh, managed wetlands looking for ducks. The other approach was um, someone would ride around on an ATV and they could cover a lot of ground, but they were less likely to uh, find a duck that was in dense vegetation. And so we actually tested as part of this project, we tested um, by hiding some, some ducks and um, seeing whether uh, dogs were able to find these hidden targets, um, whether the people were able to find the hidden targets, whether ATVs could find the hidden targets. And, um, and then we did another one that was um, more controlled time and area uh, was matched for pedestrian searchers. And we learned that the, you know, some of this is what you would expect. The ATVs were really fast, but they didn't find them all. And the searchers on foot uh, did a really good job, but they, it took them a lot longer. Um, they didn't miss very many. Um, but when we put a time constraint and matched the area searches, that's when the dogs really excelled. And um, the uh, Kyoko had two experienced detector dogs, and we had some green dogs. And the um, experienced detector dogs were more than 10 times um, as likely to find a, a hidden duck than a pedestrian human. And uh, when you mix in all the dogs, and we had a uh, two green dogs, one um, probably wouldn't have, uh, uh, <laughs> he, he, he probably shouldn't have gotten the job, but even with his um, poor performance, he did um, better than most of the humans. And when you pull them all together, they were five times as likely to find the target compared to a pedestrian human searching. Um, so that was a really neat test, but it, the, the other thing that was neat about it is um, the humans, uh, didn't lose their job because sometimes they would find the duck that the dogs would miss. And so um, you would get 100% uh, 
of the carcasses would be found, even though the humans weren't as good at it, they might find something um, that the dogs missed. Um, so it, it's kind of a need to overlay the two methods. Got you. So uh, with that, we're going to take a break for a second. Uh, we're going to be back and we're going to talk about some of the finds and we're going to continue come some of the uh, impact stuff. So don't fast forward through the commercials. We'll be back in just a second. Ray Allen Canine. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine equipment. We use their products every single day at both Van S Canine and at Torchlight. Their mission statement says it all to be the world leader in quality innovation for professional canine equipment for police, military Schutzen and ring sport tend to exceed their customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full heartedly believe that they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine, not just police dogs, but for any working dog. This episode is also brought to you by our good friends over at Dogtra, dogtra.com. It's the e-collars that Ted and I use. It's the e-collars most police dog guys use. Dogtra.com, e-collars, bark collars, ball launchers, one-stop shop for everything you need for your working dog, dogtra.com. One of the other sponsors we're proud to have is HITS Canine Training Conference. It's the premier Amer it's the premier canine training seminar in the United States, packed to the room with the world's best instructors covering important topics from admins to liability to detection work, all and tracking and everything in between. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2022 is being held in Orlando in August. Uh, so hit them up, hitscanine.net. We're super happy to be uh, represented by our good friends at Kinetic Dog Food. Uh, we've got great reviews from people all over the place. Uh, ever since we, we joined up with them and partnered with them, their uh, commitment to your dog's nutrition is top-notch. KineticDogFood.com. Check them out. Jim over at NC Canine out in North Carolina. It's the culmination of 13 years of experience in handling or training uh, law enforcement canines. They use real-world deployments to develop their training program and rely not only on their experience, but the current experience of the nation's canine handlers provide the best canine partner you can get. They provide pet training and police canine training based out of Four Oaks, North Carolina, and they serve the surrounding areas as well as nationally. Feel free to call them and learn more about their dog training program, police canine techniques and methodologies. We got a brand new sponsor, man, American Aluminum Accessories. Uh, my entire time in canine and ever since I've been involved in the dogs, the kennel in the back of our cruisers has always been American aluminum. Uh, check them out. Uh, we're so happy to have them on here. Easyrideronline.com. Easyrideronline.com for everything you need from American aluminum accessories. Speaking of kennels, once you get out of the car, you got to have somewhere to put them. So our friends up in Ohio at Horizon Structures make a one-stop shop for kennel. If you want a two-dog kennel or if you want a 20-dog kennel, they got you covered. They get those things built and they drop it off at your house. All you got to have is a pad, electricity, and water, and you can put dogs in it that day. Horizon Structures can build you anything from mild to wild, and it is the one-stop shop, and you don't have to swing a single hammer. So hit them up, horizonstructures.com. All right, we're back uh, after the commercial break uh, with the conservation dogs from Hawaii, uh, Michelle Kiyokov, and we were talking about um, dogs finding dead ducks, which I didn't even know they had ducks in Hawaii, so um, much less that they were in danger, which is probably why I didn't know they were there. And uh, so the dogs and the people were using to find 100% um, of these are these dead ducks that have the problem in the tarot fields or that have the, the, the botulism virus in the tarot fields. So... Um, 
you know, it's a unique situation where we're using the abilities of the dog, which is a superior synth. There's its superior sense of smell to find this stuff. Um, so that is going to go into Kyoko's camp. So, you know, you have a background in this already. So once you were approached and you won or once you won the bid, how did this process start? You're like, okay, I got to find, I got to I got to find dead ducks out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. So what did this process look like? So um, when you're working with endangered species, and even if it's a carcass, you, you can't just go out and, you know, find them <laughs> on your own. So you have to work with an agency um, or a biologist that can help you um, with a permit um, that covers your handling of that uh, target. So Michelle um, and USGS helped um, me get the training aids. I think they shipped it over from another island and I just started training the dogs um, using those couple of dead ducks um, that they sent me. Um, as far as, you know, how to train them, um, pretty much, you know, the same way that you guys probably train your dogs, just the direct reward type method. You know, start with classical conditioning, pairing the target with, you know, their reward, whether it's food or toy. And then, you know, we just add the hunt part to it and then, you know, take away the pairing, they get their reward um, and then add the indication. So, um, so that part's the same, but I think that what's really different in um, this type of work is the challenges that you face acquiring the target or the training aids, you know, like a recent project that I'd worked on with uh, yellow crazy ants. It's like, I don't know how to collect ants and they're not dead either. So it's like, what, is know, a, what do you do? What is a yellow crazy ant? Um, a yellow crazy ant is a species of ant that um, can be very harmful to the birds in Hawaii, the, especially the ground nesting birds that can't get away from them. They spray a formic acid that kind of burns their skin and um, you know, the, the, the baby it's birds can't fly away. Ants. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the other types of ants that we have that are invasive, they're more, you know, stinging ants, but this one in particular is a, acid spraying this is yeah. why they don't put this in the brochures of why you visit hawaii <laughs> holy shit so it's acid spraying ants that kill birds and so uh so you have dogs that find these things yeah so michelle and i worked on a project all of last year actually um to use dogs to detect these ants and um we were lucky that um, Michelle had worked with or knew a trainer from Taiwan who had trained dogs on ants. So he kind of gave us his methods for collecting ants, you know, using CO2 to put them to sleep and transfer them into your training aid containers, stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of the time spent with some of these projects will involve, you know, learning how to collect the targets and then how to contain them properly, you know, stuff like that. Well, yeah, I've done several bed bug, do bed bug dogs, and uh, that was a nightmare, um, and I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, no, I'm going to stick to drugs and bombs. Um, so, so with the dead ducks, you know, you got we had we Eric and I were on the um, Canine Paradigm podcast with um, Pat Stu and Glenn uh, down in Australia, and you know, Australia is the giant island. Um, you guys are much smaller. Um, you. Did you run into problems with finding good candidates for this program? Obviously, there's an impact 
for the dog. There's a reason why we need the dogs. They're, they have a great impact and a great, there's a great need for them. However, you know, did you struggle with finding successful candidates? Uh, for the avian botulism project or the ant one? Uh, for the, for the bird one. The bird one. Um, let's see. Yeah, it or was just, a challenge. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, that, just in general, like, yeah. I mean, so because you guys are an island and it's already like a problem getting dog mm -hmm. or getting stuff out there as expensive as it is. Um, yeah. So, so there aren't uh, very many good, um, you know, working dog breeders in the islands or, you know, there's just a few of them. And so I think um, it's definitely a challenge to get the right dogs, um, especially, you know, for conservation projects, which might have very different needs, you know, for every project, you know, one project you need a dog with tons of drive but is not interested in chasing you know prey animals um, or another project maybe you need um, a dog with lots of drive but you don't want them to be like whirling dervishes like dis um, disturbing endangered birds in the area so you need a dog with drive that's mellow you know that type of thing so um what were you, what dogs are you or like i guess what type of dogs are you using so for the avian botulism project, um, I had a Labrador. He's actually my dog um, that I used, as well as another lab mix um, that I used. And then there was a hound dog and pit mix. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. We, the, we talked about the dead bird thing, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh shit! If they had to use a Malinois, that dog is going to bring it back in pieces. <laughs> like they're going to eat this bird and i could just teaching a malinois to retrieve something is um it's an exercise that uh is interesting when i talk to hunting dog guys they're like why would you want to do that and i'm like uh you know i mean well one i don't want them to retrieve a dead bird and two um you know they're going to bring parts of that shit back to me <laughs> i don't really want that so I, when you mentioned that i was like oh, i need to make sure i ask her like what she what she, what kind of breed she has so yeah i mean you're using bird dogs to find birds that makes a lot of sense like using the labradors um so finding this working stock to do it uh was kind of a little bit of a hurdle was there any other hurt i mean aside from getting training aids which i think pretty much every every like discipline that we have we have an issue finding training is one of the projects we're working on now we're having to isolate a couple of specific odors which has been kind of a pain in the ass so um was there any other hurdles that you didn't foresee like when you started the program and you're like oh man i didn't really realize that this was going to be an issue other than like chasing live birds and everything else um well kind of back to the whole acquisition of dog topic um because it's so hard to get you know good working dogs in hawaii um i think that's one of the reasons that um the nonprofit organization that michelle and i are part of we have a volunteer program where we kind of um get the community to participate with their pet dogs so you know we don't have tons of funding to have a big kennel with you know bunch of working right. dogs that are imported so rather than you know doing that we're connecting with you know pet dog owners who have you know higher drive than normal dogs and seeing what they're suited for so rather than trying to go look for a dog specifically for a project you know you might start working with a dog handler team and say hey this dog is really good for would be good for 
you know, such and such, you know, this dog is um, really drivey, but doesn't chase birds. Maybe we can you know, use them in the wildlife refuge or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. Michelle, on your end as a science advisor, you know, being not from like a dog background or training background, was there any disconnect or was there any issue where you're like, oh, the dog should or shouldn't be able to do this? Or was there something that um, was kind of an unforeseen consequence or an unforeseen problem with the science side of it where you're like, well, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't anticipate this happening and how do we work through it? There's, there's two. Um, one uh, is that dogs could also get avian botulism. So we couldn't let the dogs retrieve the carcass because if it was an older oh, sure. carcass and it say it had fly larva on it and that went down the dog's throat, um, because it's a toxin a neurotoxin, um, it wouldn't be safe for the dogs to be able to get those ducks for us. So they had to um, alert. And then the poor human had to collect the, uh, what was left of the duck. Um, the other challenge I didn't really mm. anticipate is how, um, well, you know, usually the dog just goes to source and it's really efficient. Um, some of our, our areas that we had to search that the, the taro crop is quite fragile and um, the farmers were very protective and we had to win them over. And Kyoko had one dog in particular that really won over the farmers. Um, and also she developed a proximity alert. So a distant alert. So if the, uh, we might have to circumnavigate these fields and if there wasn't a proximity alert, we didn't go inside. And if, um, especially during demonstrations, her mixed lab would sort of tiptoe through the mud and was um, just perfect for navigating those taro plants. And so the farmers could see firsthand that there was not a lot of damage to the crop. Um, so that was kind of an unforeseen um, challenge. Yeah, working dogs are not the most graceful animals. Um, and it's more of like, just go to source and I'm going to tear everything up. And I was dealing with that at the terminal today, <laughs> dealing with some of the patrol dogs and the narcotics dogs, which, uh, yeah, we broke some stuff. And so I can kind of see that. Um, and, you know, one, a similar project, that not similar, but a project that um, is kind of going on in the background here with us, um, we have to be really careful about the environment that we're working in one because of the stuff that we're introducing and then two having the dogs work around that kind of stuff is um also a problem it's not toxic to dogs or people but um uh it definitely like poses a problem because it's not like you know running a car for explosive odor and so there is definitely an environmental concern and environmental factor so these farmers and like the tarot fields even though the crops are super fragile did the ducks pose like any environmental problems to the crops and was it transferred to humans so or i don't know if it can it transfer to humans or because like, you, like, you would have to you would have to be um eating bugs off a um a dead duck for no. a human to get it so, so uh, it's so pretty no. specific to birds <laughs> and uh, dogs wouldn't okay. normally get it. Um, but if you had them retrieving, you know, these, these toxic carcass, it could be a risk. Uh, 
yes, man, I'm going through little scenarios <laughs> in my head about how I could get about how I could get avian botulism eating some bad chicken wings. Or <laughs> so you know, I <laughs> man. Um, so once this project sort of like takes off and starts moving, how many dogs did you guys initially have, and where are you at now? So the study that uh, Michelle um, conducted, we had four dogs in it, and um, that was 2017 to 2018. And currently, our organization is helping the Wildlife Refuge um, develop their new volunteer canine program. So um, we're helping them with the training and certification. And there's three dog handler teams right now. So it's kind of... Um, just in the early stages. So there'll be a lot of things to figure out, but um, we're hoping that it goes well and they can expand that in the future. So those three teams are responsible for how much like area or don't hit that response for how much area or, you know, how much working, I guess, capacity. So the wildlife refuge is actually huge. I don't know how many acres it is. Um, Michelle could probably um, tell you, but um, there are what's called considered hotspots. So it's not necessarily like the dog teams would be searching the entire refuge. There are certain areas where the botulism um, historically might be more common or that they pop up um, suddenly. So um, the teams would be more focused on those areas. Um, also, because it is a volunteer program, um, you know, we might it might help to have them survey every day but it might not be possible um, due to the time constraints so we're still figuring that part out but you know the preventative surveys are really what's ideal for this type of work because um, if you just find the one carcass then you could prevent a lot um, if you kind of come in after it's already happening it might be you know a little bit late um yeah so an ideal number of teams and granted you said a lot of them are volunteers. So how many teams do you guys forecast that you would need? I'm so bad with numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you have three. Yeah. So I mean, is you're like way understaffed? You need like 30? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, just Michelle's the field nodding of conservation. Head. Yeah. She's like, yes. <laughs> field of conservation in general, wildlife refuges, um, they're always under-resourced. Um, no matter what. So, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that I really got into this work was when I took this job with uh, Michelle uh, working at this refuge, I saw, you know, how hard these people work, the Kupu interns and the, you know, refuge biologists and you know, all the people involved were just work crazy hours to help these um, animals. And it was, you know, really inspiring to me. And so, um, yeah, so back to your question, I think there's always going to be a need for more. <laughs> so uh, we need money. I think well, that would. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that in a second. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. Give me a second. We'll, we'll get there after the break. Uh, speaking of which, this is probably a good time to do that. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about where this program can and should go and like how we get there. So. Give us just a second. Don't fast forward through the commercials again, and we'll be back in just a second. We have a long-standing relationship with the guys over at HITS Canine Training Conference. Uh, it's truly America's premier canine seminar. It is the largest. It is the best. Um, they cover every important topic in the canine industry, 
hundreds and hundreds of vendors, thousands of canine people there. Everybody you know in this industry is there. Ted and I will be teaching. Hits 2022 is being held in Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Also, check out their website, hitscanine.net. They have other classes that they're putting out online. Uh, Zoom classes and all kinds of other things they're offering. In-person classes leading up to Hits 2022, Orlando, Florida, August 16th to the 19th. Check it out, hitscanine.net. Everyone knows me, knows that I live on chicken nuggets and Coors Light. So uh, that doesn't mean your dog should, though. Um, our friends at Kinetic um, are, make it a, a point to fuel working dogs, and they know that it can be tough, and they need high-quality food, unlike me, to give them energy and the nutrients that they require. I just subsist on air and you know, Coors Light, which, but the dogs can't. They actually have to work. So for that, we asked Kinetic. And Kinetic has come up with a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working in sport dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line for thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. You can buy it locally online or at Tractor Supply, or you can get it at Chewy. So head over to their website, kineticdogfood.com, 513-615-6904. And get them on the socials at Kinetic Dog Food. So probably the number one product I've ever advertised for or used that set that does what they say is Quick Derm by Vet Care. Uh, I have it uh, at my house. I have it at the kennel. I have it at the Fun House. I have it at the uh, Doggy Daycare. I have my trainers have it at their house. It is unbelievable how it works. You guys have all heard Ted and I talk about it, how we've gotten tagged by dogs or dogs do, you know, if you're dealing with working dogs, weird stuff happens, right? Cuts that, how the hell that happened? Bites, scratches, all kinds of things that happen, especially if you're doing anything in the wooded area, they get tore up. Uh, the quick derm by vet care. It is no exaggeration. It is great. So once daily treatment for any skin condition or small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones. Comes in sprays, ointments, or dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. The best thing, too, is they have a discount code. Get on their website, vetcare.us. That's vetcare.us. Put in the discount code 10WDR in capital letters, 10WDR for 10% off your first order. These next guys uh, have actually been on the show when we instructed at. Uh, the first uh, tripwire conference down in Florida, uh, Jim O'Brien was a guest on the show uh, and he runs NC canine who has now come onto the show as a sponsor. Um, Jim's been around for quite a long time, about 13 ish years uh, with experience handling and training law enforcement canines. Um, he uses real world deployments to develop training program and not rely only on their experience, but current experiences from most of their national canine teams and handlers to provide the best canine partner that you guys can, purchase they provide pet training and police canine services based out of four oaks north carolina and they serve the surrounding areas feel free to give jim a call a text carrier pigeon however you want to get a hold of him uh to, to talk to him about police canine training or pets and techniques and methodologies so hit him up at 919-438-0141 or j o'brien that's j-o-b-r-i-e-n at n-c letter k number nine.us check the show notes we'll put it there all right we're back uh with uh michelle kyoko from conservation dogs of hawaii looking for um dead birds and tarot fields 
Uh, I don't know what the episode, name of this episode is going to be yet, but I'm sure it'll be something <laughs> that revolves around that. So before we took that last break, uh, we were kind of talking about some of the limitations. And a lot of that is like geographic problems and then also some of the like being a unique ecosystem and whatever else. Um, we kind of hit on it on the first half or the first third of this, ep- of this episode where we talked about um, the benefit of having these dogs there and like having the overlap and not missing anything. Was there or has there been a specific instance where you're like, oh, man, had we not had one of these dogs, we would have missed one. Um, and you guys have mentioned both multiple times that um, if you miss one, it can be a really, really bad thing because this avian botulism transfers to all these other ducks and it gets funky real quick. So was there a specific instance where you said, you know what, I'm really, really glad we had this dog because if not, we would have. I don't know, miss one, two, four. I don't know how many. So, yeah. Should I go? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, one of the, I think one of the greatest parts of that project is while the um, canine surveillance was going on and it was happening every day, multiple searches, um, and we broke our, our surveillance into two windows uh, before Christmas and after Christmas. And um, with all of that surveillance, we had a really hard time finding dead ducks. So there was this huge preventative effect and uh, the data before and after all of that canine surveillance, daily canine surveillance, they have so much more botulism um, on a regular basis, more outbreaks than when the dogs were there um, doing so much surveillance. In fact, it was from the science part, we were not getting enough sample sizes because um, we were finding and removing everything. And that's why we had to start hiding the ducks so that we could do a better job of evaluating how, how good the tool was. Damn. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad problem to have, <laughs> uh, but it's an interesting one from like a statistics perspective, perspective because you're dealing with like, you know, laws of large numbers and where you don't start fitting things in and you're like, oh man, <laughs> we got it. So then you start hiding stuff to, to verify the efficacy. So um, Kyoko, on your side, was there a um, an instance that you're like, oh man, had we not been out there, this would have happened? Um, is it okay if I talk about a different project? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So, um, we at CDH, we have an invasive plant detection team, um, or program, um, with about five teams. And, um, when we first started the program, you know, we're surveying the hiking trails on Oahu and, you know, the dogs were able to find some of the plants that were right off the trail. And at the time, you know, I wasn't really sure if the dogs were going to be very helpful because, you know, it's a plant, you could see it, you know, maybe um, the dogs would be finding the same things that the humans would. But um, after several months of doing that and clearing the the sides of the trails of, you know, the plants, uh, the dogs started finding um, plants that were way off trail, like up to, you know, 30, 50 meters away from the trail. And so that's when I kind of had this realization that, you know, the dogs really are going to be helpful for this invasive plant detection. Because if you were to search visually, it's a pedestrian um, just off trail, it would take forever. 
and you know you wouldn't know where to go off trail to look for those plants so you know I feel like you know that was my moment of um, realizing how valuable the dogs can be yeah and, and and at that point you're like you're talking about a human which the amount of training that takes to spe- kind of specialize in spotting that kind of stuff when everything is green mm. already is probably not easier than training a dog to do it. So I, like I can kind of see like the aha moment. And that's something that's a similar theme that we have a lot of these episodes of like, oh, is there a time when, you know, and this not necessarily um this is a different episode or this is a different outcome than like some of the explosive stuff where it's like i'm glad the dog was here found a bomb um but you know i mean it's an interesting it's an interesting um it's an interesting outcome because you have like a traditional like i've been part of those my brother-in-law is a zoologist and they go out and count chickens all the time or or I don't know <laughs> there's some kind of weird I don't know what it is I train dogs it's some kind of bird I don't know it's like a western I don't know he, he's gonna watch this and be like hey, he's gonna text Ooh, me and tell me trouble. what it is and I'm not gonna remember. that's all right he likes me anyway it's fine um but it's they go out and count some kind of chicken all the time and I'm like it's some kind of weird wild chicken thing and but he was like oh we have a problem identifying him and he showed me a picture of it and i'm like why the hell like how can that be like a problem like how do you not know what that thing is he's like well you got to be able to do it from like 150 yards away with binoculars and i'm like oh okay so it does require a shitload of training and i can't imagine that training a dog is is easier than training a human with a four-year degree (laughs) like my brother-in-law has uh in identifying chickens so um (laughs) That's a fantastic aha moment. It happens all the time. And it's like, oh, man, I'm so glad the dog was here. So we talked a little bit about the limitations that you guys have. Um, where do you so we've covered the episode started by talking about um, finding dead ducks. And then we talked about the um, fire spitting ants. What are those things called? Yellow the crazy yellow, ants. Yellow. I was going to call them yellow death ants. That sounds way yeah. better. Uh, the yellow crazy ants. Um, and now you've, so what other stuff do you guys find? So we got ants, we got dead birds and you've got plants. So you have a whole like host of ecological things like invasive species. So what else do you guys look for? So right now we have a, um, rodent and mongoose detection, um, program uh, just starting out. Um, and so rodents are obviously, you know, um, right. Pretty uh, known for being uh, destructive, but mongooses are, um, they're not a rodent, but it's, it kind of looks like a ferret. And it was introduced to Hawaii um, as a control method for rodents, but it turned out that the rodents um, are nocturnal and the mongooses are active during the day. So oh, <laughs> it didn't work out at all. And the, yeah, the mongooses are highly destructive. So um, that's something that, you know, we're looking into um, contributing to that um, effort. Um, there are a couple of main Hawaiian islands, including Lanai and Molo, no, Lanai and Kauai that do not have mongooses. So, you know, trying to implement a biosecurity program to help prevent the introduction of mongooses would be something that we'd be interested in doing. So, yeah, we're right now we're talking to different biologists and agencies about that um but really there's an endless amount of um, applications for the dogs and we're constantly um researching stuff and talking with other people that is super i would never guess that mongooses would be a problem like i mean wow so we've got the plants we've got the ants 
plants, ants, birds, and the silky coated penis weasels, which are the mongooses. So those things are they're they're nasty. So um, I that is crazy that and and this is entirely related to California or I mean uh, Hawaii because like if you were in the, like the mainland the United States like we have a problem here with like similar things but we deal with it a lot differently i mean you know we have a ton of land mass so we don't really have the problems that you guys have um one with sourcing and two with dealing with like the ecological impacts um so in an ideal world you guys have have struggled with funding and you just it's how old is um cdh so i originally started the organization in 2016 with the goal of um, doing cancer detection with the dogs but that didn't really uh, work out so i switched gears and in 2019 we um, decided to focus on environmental conservation so it's really only been two years or so okay so yeah so currently so where um can we find well i mean for people listening to this We'll put this in the show notes, but where um, can we find information about what you guys have going on? Sure. Our website is uh, conservationdogshawaii.org, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at conservationdogshawaii. Excellent. And so you guys have had a problem with funding as well. Um, and I assume that there's a way that you guys, that we can PayPal, because, and we don't want to send anything in the mail because it takes forever to get there. Oh yeah, we have a PayPal yeah donation link on our website, and we also just launched a um, you know fundraising T-shirt, sticker, and tank top um, campaign. So check it out on our social media. Excellent. You could buy a shirt or something. That'd be great. Yes, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, so for everybody listening, head over there. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, just click the link; it goes straight there. Um, I am at Ted underscore Summers on Instagram and facebook as well as the podcast is working underscore dog underscore radio and then obviously hrd is still running um i am instructing a blue line in st louis this month i'm not sure when this episode is going to air but it's about the same time uh eric and i'll be there assuming he's over the rona which i hope he will be uh we're going to be doing the hrd dog and pony show and it sounds like we have some SWAT integration courses coming up too. So that'll be fun. But that's at uh, HRD Police K9 letter K number nine. And then I'm also at Torchlight K9 letter K number nine and Torchlight Pets. And Eric is at Ridgeside, Ohio. Uh, and then Van S K9, both on the Instagrams and on the Facebook. So be sure to follow us. And if Eric were here, he would yell at everybody for people to follow the show, but don't follow both of us. <laughs> so most of my stuff is business anyway. Um, and, but yeah, so, uh, Michelle Kyoko, this episode was super interesting because I had no idea <laughs> like that you're looking for ants, dead birds and plants and apparently mongooses. Um, so that was not in the brochure when you visit Hawaii, the fucking acid spitting ants and the dead birds. So, uh, but no, it's been super interesting and it's been an episode that we've wanted to do for quite a while. And I'm super glad you guys came on. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll thanks. That was fun. All right, guys, this episode has been brought to you by great sponsors of ours. Please don't skip through this. Take a listen to them. One of our oldest sponsors and great friends of ours are the people down at Highland Canine down in North Carolina. 
Um, I really like him. We have, we see him at all the conferences. I know a lot of people have been to their school for dog trainers. They've been on the podcast Highland canine. They're a full service canine and pet dog training business where they can train you to be a trainer. They can get you a dog. They have handler classes. They have supervisor classes. They have trainers courses for just LE. They have them for anybody who wants to be in, uh, in the dog business, be a dog trainer of any kind. Um, Check them out. Their website is tacticalpolicek9training.com, tacticalpolicek9training.com. If you are smart, you'll go down there in the winter. It is North Carolina. It is warm. You get to work dogs. It's no, no joke school, guys. You're not going down there for a month um, and, and rushing through it. They're actually trying to make you real deal dog trainers. Uh, tacticalpolicek9training.com. Next is a sponsor that's been with us for quite a while, uh, Dogtra. I love Dogtra stuff, and they continually keep bringing out new products. Uh, one of the things that I've been using a lot lately is the new Tone Box. If you're a pet trainer or if you train a lot of police officers, and I harp at my guys all the time about timing, and this thing literally kind of pairs to the, to the remote, and when you're using the remote, whether you're using Nick Constant or Vibrate, it makes a noise. So you can get the timing down 100% consistent. And so I can demonstrate how to do an out with an e-caller immediately, quickly. And it is so effective that I can't believe that it took me forever to figure it out <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get that. They've also got these new um, comfort feather, like titanium things that go on the collars that uh, are fantastic for making sure we got contact. It actually has six points and this comes in two sizes and it's a titanium feather thing. They're awesome. They got comfort, comfort contact points for the bark collars, the YS 600. One of my favorite things. I have about 50 of them at the kennel and it is dead silent. And I put them on all the pet dogs and I can leave them on because they have the comfort contact points and they're fantastic. All this stuff you can get at dogtrue.com. And if you use the discount code WDR, one zero you get 10 percent off a single item over 200 bucks so that covers the ball trainer that covers the 1900 ass hands free which is my personal favorite for all the big dogs uh it covers the two dog system uh the 202c which i use for the two dog pet guys and fantastic so dogtra.com or go to at dogtra official on all the socials that's facebook instagram all those places so hit them up dogtra.com guys i don't even shop any other sites when i'm looking for everything for dogs our one-stop shop for anything pet dog training and police dog training hunt dog training anything you need you can find at rayallen.com they have been doing it forever we have a great relationship with them um again they're at all the conferences you can stop up and talk to them they have more stuff there than any place rayallen.com they are amazing we have a great a really, really good relationship with those guys. Um, like I said, I get on their website. I do not look anywhere else. I just get on Ray Allen. Why, why should I fill up my cart, pay it? Boom. Shipping. Here we go. Uh, everything's coming. RayAllen.com. And guess what? We do have a discount code for them. Working dog radio for 10% off. It's all one working dog radio and it's all caps. Check them out. RayAllen.com. I'm not too shaped to admit that I used our own discount code to buy stuff for the kennel. We have American Aluminum next. They're a new sponsor for uh, moving forward. Um, they have been around for quite a while. They manufacture a wide variety of products from the high quality cam lockers and toolboxes to a huge line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law enforcement community. Back in 1992, due to the demand for safe, secure transport for a nearby law enforcement department's canine, they introduced the very first Easy Rider canine. They have continuously grown and expanded products catering to the needs and wants of the valued customers and high-profile clientele. 
Over the years, as the needs have changed, they have evolved and expanded their products to include inmate transport systems, canine training aids, canine inserts, contraband, containment, and animal control systems, just to name a couple of things. So you can find them at easyrideronline.com. That is easy echo Zulu rider online.com. You can find them on the socials at American Aluminum Accessories, and then you can hit them up toll free 1 800 277 0869. You don't have to worry about writing all that down. We're going to put it in the show notes. So just scroll down to the bottom, write it down, click the link, takes you straight there onto your phone. Our first sponsor we ever had, he's been, he's our ride or die. He's been with us since the beginning, is Arno over at ALM K9 Equipment. His stuff is so good. Ted, you know, gets suits. He, and listen, Ted's suit, he's had it for a long time. Arno's fixed it. He's uh, taken a million bites on it. It still holds up. The thing's amazing. I've got a suit from him. I love it. Use it all the time. Uh, but the main thing that I really love about Arno is his hidden sleeves are ridiculously amazing. They are the best. And his tugs. I usually buy tugs from Arno by the box load. He'll send me a whole bunch of them. I hand them out to the handlers, new handlers when they come in, experienced handlers. Uh, they last for a long time. They're amazing. The craft work is, is great. Arno's doing all the, the sewing there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom-made suits, everything you need um, out there. And he's out there in sunny Las Vegas. Get on his website. Check him out, almk9equipment.com, almk9equipment.com. Discount code WD Radio, all caps, 10% off your first order. Check them out. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die your life. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother D E G E. Blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.